Romans. Take your Bibles and open up to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9. We are wrapping up Romans chapter 9, 8 and 9. Some of you are going to say, woohoo. Some of you are going to go, oh, I wish we were still there for a little longer. Well, uh, listen, you have an opportunity. In fact, today is the last day on the new app that you can uh, submit a question. Wednesday night, we're going to have a big time Q&A right here, uh, 6 o'clock for those who would like to come. We've got, had people asking questions about Romans 8 and 9 and the things we've been walking through. We've asked that if you can, submit a question online. That way we can be fully prepared to be able to answer and our time will be utilized wisely. You don't have to do that. You can come and ask it that night. Uh, but we, we really want to encourage you to do that. Today's the last day for that. So Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Right here, there is childcare for that, so you'll, you'll want to see that. Uh, we are journey, journeying through Romans, and we're going to end up today, Romans chapter 9, verse 24 through 33. So far, what we've seen in this chapter is that Paul was very concerned for his Jewish brothers and sisters, that they would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They were not coming and submitting their lives to him uh, quickly. And so it raised the question, it, has God's promises failed? Will, are, are they going to continue? And he says, yes, listen, uh, God's promises are based on him, not whether or not they're responding or not. And so he, he reassures them of that type of thing. He, he also lets them know that, listen, not all true Israel is Israel. Just because you were born uh, as, an, as a uh, Jewish person doesn't mean that necessarily you are going to be one of those that God has chosen by his mercy and by his grace. Uh, that's, not, that's not guaranteed just because you are a national Jew. Just like it's not guaranteed that you are a follower of Jesus Christ because your daddy, your granddaddy, your mama, whoever was a Christian is a Christian. Granddad. He was a pastor at so-and-so church, so therefore, no, it doesn't work that way. It's individual. And so Paul begins to help people begin to walk through that. But one of the things that he says very clearly, very, very clearly, all throughout Romans 8, all throughout Romans 9, all throughout the book of Romans is this. He says that salvation is found in no other name under heaven but in Christ alone. In Christ alone. Uh, our bottom line today is uh, in Christ, or Christ alone, solo Christus. Solo Christus, it's a, it's a Latin term. We've talked a little bit throughout our time together in Romans. We've talked about sola fide, meaning faith alone. We've talked about sola gratia, which means grace alone. And today we're talking about sola Christus, which is Christ alone. There is no other name given except Christ alone by which we are saved. It's not national. It's not because of my family heritage. It's not because I work hard and I do all these great things. It's only because I've surrendered my life. My life, my, my heart was open. My eyes were illuminated. And now I've followed Jesus Christ. If you've not gone through any of these messages over the last, or you've missed a couple, please make sure you go back and check out this series, this, this Overcoming uh, Grace series, so that you can follow up and know and understand fully more what it is that we're talking about. So with that, 
Paul's going to continue on. In fact, he's going to answer the very last question that we have here in Romans chapter 9. Uh, and, and the question basically is this, then who are these vessels of mercy? Who is it that the promises of God are for? Because, and we're about to jump in in verse 24, kind of midstream. We're hitting in the middle of a thought, which we don't like to do, but we are today. So just quickly, verse 22 and 23, we were talking about last week, vessels of mercy, vessels of wrath. We were talking about all of those types of things. And then Paul's going to ask this question, then who, who, is, who are these promises for then? Who, who are these vessels of mercy? And we're jumping in to 24. So let's read. Romans 9, 24, he says this. He's writing and he says, even us, us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So he's answering this question very, very early. Who are these vessels of mercy? And here's what he said. Us, whom he has called, not where we were born, not what country we're from, but our eyes have been illuminated. Our eyes have been opened by the mercy of God. God has sovereignly reached down. He has opened our eyes and he has called us. And those who he has called are those vessels of mercy. And this was a very unique statement, the way that he wrote this, because it says, uh, he talks about the Jews, not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Now, this would have taken both sets of people off guard, just to be real honest with you, because the Jews would have been doing this. Now, wait a minute. You said the Gentiles. Are you kidding me? Because up until this point, they had always assumed, because I'm a Jew, from the head to the toe, I'm good to go. I'm in. I'm there. And he says, no, wait a minute. Not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Now, this would have taken the Gentiles back just a little bit also, because the Gentiles would have been sitting there going, dude, are you kidding me? You mean I'm now getting in on Father Abraham? You mean I get to be part of? And, and what Paul's going to help us to understand as we continue on in this, when we get to chapter 10 in the fall and following, we're going to begin to see that the Gentiles are, are grafted in, they're grafted into the trunk. Kind of like you would do a tree, you would take that branch, you graft it in. The Gentiles are being grafted in. And so now then he's helping them and he's going to start unpacking what does all of this look like? How does all of this happen? So with that, I'm going to jump into verse 25. We're going to look at verses 25, 26, I believe it is, just to be real clear. Verse 25 and 26, and he says this, As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Verse 26, and in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Now, right here, what Paul begins to do is he is making a transition. And as we often have tried to do through this, we always want to point you back to Scripture. All of us need to know Scripture is our bottom line. This is where we're coming from. This is, we are a people of the book. It is our number one core value if you've been through uh, our, our membership class. We stand on this and what he has to say. 
All right, this is what's important. And so what Paul does here is he does the exact same thing. He goes back to the Old Testament scripture, the scripture that they had that day. He goes back and he goes to Hosea. Now, Hosea was an Old Testament prophet. And if you've not read the book of Hosea, I would encourage you to go back. Very interesting story. I'm going to give you a brief piece of it. So he goes back to Hosea and he begins to use Hosea's life, Hosea's marriage. And, and, and as an Old Testament prophet, what would begin to happen many times is that God would say to an Old Testament prophet, I want you to do this. And literally their life becomes a living example. And, and in Old Testament prophets, they did some crazy things if we were to read it from our mindset today. In fact, to be real honest with you, they did some crazy things in that day. But what God was doing was is he was trying to paint a picture for the, for the nation of Israel. And, and really, just so you know, historically at this time, Israel has been dot, divided into two kingdoms. You have the southern kingdom called Judah. You have the northern kingdom called Israel. And the northern kingdom had been... Um, they had been prostituting themselves out, just to be real honest with you. They had been going after foreign gods. They were not following after the one true living God. They were following after the Baals and the Asherahs and those types of things, uh, those false gods. And so God said to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go take a wife. Her name is Gomer. I want you to go after Gomer. I'm not going to touch that one, all right? We're going to move on by that. He's going after Gomer. He meets Gomer. Now, the, now, here's the issue with Gomer. Gomer's a prostitute. God said, I want my chosen prophet, Hosea, to go marry a prostitute. I want my chosen prophet to go marry a prostitute. And the reason for that was that he wanted to present a picture and tell a story to the people, to the people of Israel, of this is what my love for you looks like. And I want to say this real quick, a little caveat, whoop, right here, a little caveat. We, and I just said this, Old Testament prophets, many times their lives were a living testimony to the people. That is also true to us today. Do you realize if you are married today, your marriage, your marriage as a follower of Christ, both of you together, is a living testimony to a lost and dying world of what you believe about Jesus Christ. They look at you. People look at you and they want to know what do you believe about Jesus by how you treat your spouse. So this is not just for Old Testament. This is for today. And we've got to realize that every moment as a follower of Christ, we are, our lives are on display either for his glory or against his glory. So, go, so he marries Gomer. Gomer continues to prostitute herself out with other lovers. And each time Hosea goes to get her and brings her home. God says, I want you to have children. I want you to have children. They have three children. Now I'm going to tell you these children's names, the, the kids' names, and I'm going to tell you, they're not going to make the top 10 list for uh, baby names in 2016. So if you're, if you're pregnant right now, wipe these off. These are not ones you're going to want to use, all right? Child number one. Child number one was named Jezreel. And Jezreel means this, God has sown, meaning that he has sown destruction for the northern kingdom because the Assyrians are going to come and they're going to, they're going to intimidate and take over. The second name for the, the, the child, the second child's name was Lo Ruhama. Lo Ruhama, meaning this, no compassion, no mercy. Compassion, mercy. No compassion, no mercy. The third child's name was Lo Ami. And Lo Ami means this, not 
my people. You see, God was presenting a picture where Israel was out running around or chasing after foreign gods. He was saying, what are you doing? And Hosea was presenting a picture back because God had said, this is what I want you to do. After these children are born, don't lose me here. Don't stay with me. After these children are born, Gomer leaves Hosea again to continue prostituting herself with foreign lovers. It got so bad that Gomer ended up in the market square on an auction block, on an auction block, about to be auctioned off as a slave. And God told Hosea, I want you to go and I want you to purchase her. I want you to redeem her unto yourself. Are you following the picture and the foreshadowing here? Can you imagine your spouse, men specifically, can you imagine your wife? Women, could you imagine your husband on the auction block? Do I have 30? Do I have 30? Do I have 30? I got 30 right here. Do I have 50? Do I have 50? Do I have 50? I got 50 right here. And it just keeps going and it keeps going until finally Hosea steps up and says, I'll give you everything, all that I have to take my wife. Folks, the picture there should be clear of what God has done for us as believers, that he has sent his son and ransomed him to save a lost people, a people who were prostituting themselves out to other foreign gods who have been chasing after. Yet you know what the great thing is in God's mercy, in God's grace? God said, I'm going to change these babies' names now because, Hosea, you have redeemed your wife, just what I want to do to the nation of Israel. And now I'm going to change their name. Jezreel, Jezreel went from being sowing judgment, went to a promise of God to sow the land again with my people. Uh, the, the word uh, lo ruhama and lo ami, lo is a Hebrew word that means no. So where lo ruhama meant no mercy, no justice, her name now became mercy. I will have mercy on my people. She didn't choose that name. God chose it for her. Lo ami, not my people. The lo is dropped. He said ami, these are my people now. And the reason that Hosea, uh, Paul was using this is that he wanted to point out that where once there was not a people, Israel was not a people, and yet God chose them for himself. He, what he once did, he can do again with the Gentiles. They were not my people, but today they will be my people. I will have mercy on them. I will reach down upon them. Wow, do not miss what it is that you're beginning to see and beginning to hear here. So why did Paul use this story? Well, the point is, is that he wanted to make sure that we saw God's gracious and merciful call sinners back to himself. He paid a very high price for you and for me. He paid the price. He's the one who did that. We were not a people but today, we are a people, not by our own choosing, but by the sovereign hand and choice of God himself. How did that happen? I want you to hear this. God looked down. He chose me. He's chosen you. He illuminated our eyes. He, salvation comes. And you know what we have to do? We have to respond in faith, by believing in him, only though in 
Christ alone. Solo Christus. In Christ alone. That's how we come to know Christ. Is by believing in the one and only son of Jesus, named Jesus Christ. Romans 9, 27 through 28, or 20, 27 through 28 and 29 say this. He's going to move on from Hosea. He's going to go to another Old Testament passage talking about uh, Hosea to Isaiah. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant, only a remnant, a small portion, only a remnant of them will be saved. Verse 28. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left the offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Once again, once again, I want you to see this is a, a, a picture of God's mercy. He says, listen, had it not been for God's mercy and him actually choosing a remnant, a small portion, not all of Israel is Israel, okay? He chose a remnant, a small portion of them, and he saved them. He saved them. He said, listen, had it not been for his mercy, we would be like Sodom and would have become like Gomorrah, wiped out. But he said, listen, in God's mercy, he chose a remnant to save to be his people, to be his offspring so that his name might continue forward. Listen, salvation is again all about God's great mercy. Salvation brings us into a personal relationship with God himself. Salvation right here in this passage, I want you to see this. I want to take another little caveat for a minute. Salvation in this passage helps us to understand something. That salvation is God's mercy and grace upon us, but it's also that all nations, it's available for all peoples, Jew and Gentile. Meaning this, that if you're not of the Jewish, uh, if you're not of the Jewish um, uh, background, ethnicity, that means that we're, we're Gentile. So in this room today, if you're not Jewish, which would be the vast majority of us from that background, uh, you are a Gentile. And because of this, salvation now is open and has come to you. Whether you are Greek, whether you are Laotian, whether you are Mexican, Canadian, French, Italian, Brazilian, whatever it is, salvation is open to all peoples in Christ alone. Here's something else that I want to kind of just camp for just a second. Uh, when, when we see Jesus face to face, when we step to the gates of heaven, you know, the scripture tells us that uh, it, it describes heaven in all kinds of incredible ways. Streets of gold, pearly gates, all those kinds of things. Uh, walls of, that are deep in jewels, I believe that, I don't know that it's not that, but I do know this, that those, that's human language that, that John wrote. And I think even in his human language, it's going to be so much greater than even that. As great as that is, it's going to be that much greater. But Scripture helps us to understand that when you get to heaven, there is no more sin. No more sin. And so therefore, the sin of separation and because of race will not be anymore. Will be no more. 
And I want to say this, if sin will be no, if the, the sin of racism is no more in heaven, then Lord, it needs to begin here in our church and be abolished forever in the church of the living God. There's, regardless of race, color, it does not matter. Our God sent his one and only son so that all nations, he could make a new people, a new people in Christ alone. Keep reading with me though. Let's look in verse 30 and 33. We're gonna keep moving on here. Paul begins to make a little shift here, okay? He, for, the, for most of eight and, mo, and, and most of chapter nine, he has focused on the sovereignty of God in salvation. And he's gonna make a little shift here, okay? And I want you to begin to see how that looks. Beginning in verse 30, going through 33, he says this. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. The Gentiles were not pursuing Jesus, okay? They were not pursuing God. Uh, did not pursue righteousness, have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? key. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Verse 33, as it is written, Isaiah, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. And as I said, up until this point, to, the, to verse 30, he's been focusing on sovereignty of God and salvation. Beginning here at verse 30, all the way through chapter 10, he makes a shift in his tone and he begins to talk about man's responsibility. And I want you to catch this. Uh, he saw no contradiction and no competition between those two things. Because he just went right, right from this subject, this, this sentence, to the next. You remember last week in our discussion how I said, you know, we, we, at some point, we, we can't explain how it works. We have to just lean into it and accept the mystery that both are taught and very clear in Scripture. And I want to say this to you. This past week in my study, I did not resolve that tension. All right? It's still there. It's still there. But I trusted. I don't understand it, but I trust it. And even what Paul says, Paul says here, he's making that shift and he's moving into talking about man's responsibility. I got a question this past week that said, well, what about in chapter, is what we've been learning in, in, in chapter nine, what, what, I mean, how does that relate to chapter 10? Well, you're gonna see, we're gonna start, but I, I'm gonna give you, we're gonna start that in the fall, but I'm gonna give you a little caveat. You remember it was about three weeks ago, Pat talked about, and he said, what we learn in Romans 9 does not negate what we learn in Romans 4. You remember that? Well, I want you to hear this. What we learn in Romans 9 does not negate what we're going to learn in Romans 10. Paul sees it as clear. These are two tracks that run throughout Scripture, and there is no contradiction. The thing that we know is this, is that salvation comes in Christ alone by no other way except in Christ alone. 
Now, Paul goes on to begin to talk about how the Gentiles came to know Jesus Christ. It says that they know him because, one, God illuminated their eyes and they pursued him, his righteousness. He gave him his righteousness and they walked in that in faith. It says in faith they walked in that where the Jews didn't, the Scripture says. The Scripture says that they didn't do that. So here's a couple of things. Why, how did all this work? Why did God choose some Jews and the rest of them, he did, they didn't see it? And in fact, at some level, he even put some of the responsibility, he puts all of the responsibility on them in that situation. Why is that? Well, there's two things that I want you to see. If you're writing down, I want you to write these down because you want to go back and see these. Number one is this, is that they sought salvation in the wrong way. They sought salvation in the wrong way. It is quite possible to be pursuing something that is right, but doing it in the wrong manner. And then number two, they clearly rejected the Savior. They clearly rejected the Savior. You see, we begin to see man's responsibility in this as it, as it always is in the Scripture. As it always is in the Scripture. And this is very relevant to our, to our culture. Paul is saying that there is a wrong way to seek the right thing and right standing with God. And what we tend to do many times is that we tend to do this. We tend to think that someone who is zealous for their religion, uh, boy, that's, they're going to get there. They're going to find it. Aren't we? You may have heard this. Aren't, don't we all kind of, all paths are leading up to the mountain of God anyway. Well, I mean, we're all brothers and sisters anyway. I mean, you, what, the, the path you're choosing, the path you're choosing, we're all going to get there. I mean, that sounds really good in our bumper sticker coexist theology culture today. I, you know, the only problem with that is the Bible. <laughs> it's just not true. It's not true. The only way that we are all going to make it to Christ is that he, he opens our eyes. Sovereignly opens our eyes. And then in our responsibility, we must respond to him. We are held responsible in those matters. What we think many times that is popular in our society today is this, is that if I do enough good things, the balance of the scale is gonna tip. So if I do enough good, in the end, and, and you know what's, I'm gonna tell you this, I, I hear this even from church people. I hear it even from church people. If I do enough good, I mean, God, surely he's going to let me, he's going to let me in. I mean, surely that's going to, that, that counts for something. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Okay? And how, do you, how does that happen? In Christ alone. Surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. He illuminates our eyes. He opens. He bestows mercy upon us. He has chosen me. Those of you who surrendered your life, those who are followers of Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world, he chose you. And then he illuminated your eyes. And many of you have even, after our services, you've gotten up, you've come to the pastor's connection and you've confessed, God saved me. Can, can you help me walk through this? I did this just a few minutes ago, even after the first service. And we're just, you walk, that's how, in Christ alone, no other way. They said that they pursued a righteousness in such a way that it was based on the law. Because, you see, they thought by following the, the Old Testament law that I'm just going to be in right standing. You know, I pray the right prayers. I do the right things on the Sabbath. I cleanse myself in the right way. After all, I am a part of the Jewish faith. I mean, I, I was born a Jew. Aren't we the chosen people? 
And what they failed to realize is that you are the chosen people. The reason that the Jewish people were chosen to begin with is so that they could be a light. They became the vessels of mercy to pour out themselves to the nations so that others would know, so that those other uh, foreign nations who followed foreign gods would know. And yet somewhere along the way, they took these blessings and they said, they're mine. And the only way that you get them is that you become like me and that you're born Jewish. And God said, no, listen, this has always been. It's for the nations. That's what you were designed to do. So the Gentiles are able to come in. And Jesus said this, listen, you've, you've pursued me as if to work, to earn something. And it is only by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, him alone, him alone, his finished work. The way, that we, the way that we come to Christ is when God imputes, he gives, he puts Christ's righteousness into my heart. And when he gives me Christ's righteousness, he takes my sin. Uh, it's uh, his righteousness for my sin. It's almost like a round peg that's filled with my sin. And as, as he places that Jesus' righteousness in, it pushes out the sin. All illustrations fail. I want you to hear that. But we do not receive, we do not get heaven based on anything we do. Only because of the righteousness of, God, of Jesus Christ. The second piece of that is this. The scripture is very clear. Verse 33 says that uh, he, he, he quoted Isaiah and he talked about the, the stumbling stone. The stone that the builders rejected. And he says, he talks about that. And he says, so they rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. Why did they reject him as Savior? Why did they reject him? Because they wanted some other Jesus than what God sent. They, they didn't want the Jesus that God sent. You see, what the people were looking for is they were, uh, they were looking for a political hero, not a suffering servant. They weren't looking for a homeless wanderer. They wanted a pampered prince. You see, they didn't want to hear anything about love your enemies. They wanted a sword to destroy their enemies. They wanted a political hero. And what did God do? God dropped his son in a manger, in a cave, not in the middle of Jerusalem, but out of the far outpost. And he says, listen, this is my economy and I do things my way. Uh, uh, how is it that the religious leaders didn't see it? Because it's prophesied all throughout the Testament, the Old Testament, the scriptures that they had. So you see, the Jewish people, uh, uh, the reason they're held accountable, the reason that we are held accountable for our, uh, is because we didn't believe, we, didn't, we, don't, we don't go after Christ and his righteousness. We do works-based theology. We want Jesus in our view, not in God's view. Many people today are searching for a Jesus that makes them feel good, that's going to give them what they desire. They, he's going to give me health. He's going to give me wealth. He's going to prosper me. And I want you to hear this. Jesus did not come to give me health and wealth and prosperity. He came, he died, he suffered. He said, if this is what happened to the master, 
the servant himself. What's good for the teacher, the student is going to experience. So today, if we, today, if you're in here and you're hearing my voice and you're feeling a stirring in your heart, I want you to hear that. That's not my voice. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Somehow throughout the last six, seven, eight weeks, God's been moving. The Holy Spirit has been doing a work that only he does. We're not eloquent enough for those things. (laughs) It's a work that he does, that he opens your eyes and he calls you to repentance. And some of you, he's opened your eyes over the last several weeks. And you've been wrestling with this. You've been working it out. You need to respond today. Come back to the next steps area out in the hallway. I want to talk with you. I want to help you understand what are those next steps. You see, the question today for you is who do you say Jesus is? Is he the stumbling stone? Is he the rock of offense? Or is he the stone, the cornerstone on which your entire house is built? So that when the storms come, the waters rise, your house is built on solid ground. Uh, What I've discovered many times in my years of walking with people through this that is surrendering their life to Jesus and saying, God, I, 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 I'm all in, is this. Is that stone, that stone that is either going to fall on them and crush them, or they're going to fall on the stone and be broken unto salvation? And the question arises today is, who do you say Jesus is? Because I know that today the Holy Spirit is moving in this place and he is choosing and electing people to salvation. And the question today is, is will you respond obediently to his call? You see, all throughout Scripture, God chooses, we respond. And today, the call is, will you respond to the Holy Spirit who is calling you, who is wooing you, who is pointing you back to Jesus? Because it is in Christ alone today that your hope, your salvation is found. If you're banking on LifePoint worship, if you're banking on LifePoint small groups, if you're banking on anything other than Christ alone, you will be greatly disappointed. Father God, we love you. We magnify you today. And God, I'd ask, God, I'd ask that you would lift your son high, that we might understand more clearly who he is. Holy Spirit, I pray that you doing your work, that you've been the teacher today that all you're doing as the scripture, as Jesus said, reminding us of what Jesus said. You're pointing us back. Holy Spirit, draw men and women to Jesus today. 
Jesus, today, what we've attempted to do through our singing, through our teaching, through our listening, now through our giving, is to magnify you. You've told us that when you would be lifted up, you would draw all men to yourself. And today, we have sought to lift you high. In Christ alone, our hope is built. In Christ alone, we're standing on you and what you did on the cross. Today, would you awaken dead hearts so that men and women and boys and girls would be saved. And we give you glory and we honor you today. May we give back to you now our tithes, our offerings. May they not be something that is in a way of buying anything from you, but a, a complete worship and a dependence on you, Jesus, on you, God. Thank you for letting us worship in this way. For it's in the name of Jesus, the strong, mighty, merciful name of Jesus that we ask these things. Amen.